0: Welcome to Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment, and zero carbon goals. This week, it's just me and Jeff. We met with Dr. Barry McCarran, who is chair of the Passive Arts Association of Ireland. And he's a faculty member, I think, at Southwest College in Cookstown, Northern Ireland. And I believe he's one of the founders of the Crest Centre there. The Centre for Renewable Energy and Sustainable Technology. This guy, Jeff's been trying to get on for some time now. So, Jeff happened to get in touch with him this week. So, an opportunity. So, we got him on. Now, the sound's a little bit choppy at points because Barry was in his car when he was talking to us. Very kindly, he took some time out of his day. He was actually on his break. At a, he'd been speaking at a conference that he talked about briefly. But yeah. He knows his stuff. we talked a lot about, in fact, just listen to it. You know what I mean to tell you. We get into it quick enough. See so yeah, enjoy. Oh, usual things. Share it if you like it. You know someone will probably like it too. If you could review it, that'd be great. Apparently it helps the algorithm. So if we're going to reach more people, it would be very much appreciated. Um, yeah, subscribe, Passive fast Plus. Advertise if you can. If you need any help in other matters, give us a shout at Zero Ambitions Partners, ZAP at EIUX.agency, email address is in the show notes. Join ACAN, join the ECB. If you're in Ireland, I suppose you can join the Irish Green Building Council. Pat Barry's doing excellent work there. So IGBC, you can find them, I'm sure. Try and keep it a little less UK-centric. Right, I'll let you go. And uh, Tanya, if you listen to this, stop thinking about work. Get on your holiday
1: all right cheers bye right that should be that should be it um so um welcome to zero ambitions uh today we have barry mccarran dr no less barry mccarran on who is among other things i don't know where to start with you barry uh the, he's uh happy to you know delighted to count him as a friend and colleague he's the chair of the passive house association of ireland uh but he's so much more than that, and uh, and um, an academic uh, operating in this space in terms of uh of trying to understand low energy buildings in 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 all their their their, their glory and filth, you know. So um, Barry, thank you so much for joining us. You you just uh, had to break away from a conference to debase yourself and talk to us. Um, how are you, anyway? Keeping very well, Jeff. Thank you, and and a pleasure
2: to be on the the podcast. It really is. Um, you've had some good people on before me, so
1: it's good to be in good company. Well, we've run out of people now, Barry. So we're at, at the drags, you know. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 great to have you on. Um, what were you talking about today?
2: Yeah, so today we're just talking about innovation and in education and how we can bring basically industry closer to education in in, in a real way. Um, so that's up here in Belfast, in Northern Ireland. So in its in its own right, a very good and interesting
1: topic, really. You know, that's a, it's fascinating. I mean, that's quite threatening. I would have thought to people in their um academic bubbles, to their ivory towers, the idea that you dirty yourself in that way, right? Yeah, that's exactly you know what what's what's needed. One of the things that. Frustrates me, even in the context of you know the, the kind of research that, that that you were doing. Often, that you'll find a really solid piece of good academic research that can further kind of advance our understanding of 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 buildings and what we're getting wrong with them, what we're getting right with them, and so on. And yet, papers are published and they're maybe uh, you know presented at at conferences and so on, but. The trickle down from that, or the or the the link from that to the information actually becoming impactful and changing practice in the industry, it's so often missing. Yeah, you're you're
2: stumbling upon something that's you know very passionate for me. Like my my whole journey started out in in further education, and and fortunately all the way to a PhD. But but now that I'm actually in education myself as a career to be an fe is very important for me um and that that's really where you know we would like to say you know in terms of research and development FE is on the development side rather than on the big R so we 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 sort of say big D small R and whenever you you, you take then say some of the output and some of the stuff that that that's coming out of um further education rather than the university level i think you have a, you know less of a gap between what the industry wants to see um now this is very stereotypical of course there's good people in the universities doing work but um you, you know that gap is smaller between i think you know output coming from people in, in fe compared to universities but again i have to give myself the caveat there and say you know um you know, there's good stuff coming out of the universities. But but more and more, I think, as everything matures and evolves, um, I, I do see that value coming through. And and today the conference that I'm at today is all in, in that in that area too. You know, um there really is a modernization, I suppose, of of academia in, in lots and lots of ways. Um and and you can see that very visibly too.
0: Yeah, the biggest gap appears to be between people having the ideas and the ideas actually getting to be implemented on site. Because there's loads of enthusiasm. There's loads of kids who want to learn. There's loads of students uh, going through a university system that want to know more about uh, building pathology, physics, energy efficiency. You know, this is their futures in their hands. But when you get to actually developing the stuff, there are a few institutions and uh, companies that are really tackling this seriously. Because, you know, Jeff and I... When we set out doing what we did with the first magazine long, long time ago, we recognized it's a conservative industry. No one wants to change. They've got a business model and it works for them. And now we're upsetting the rhythm
1: mm-hmm. or
0: we're trying to upset the rhythm. It's interesting. Yeah. we 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 joined uh, Scotch Housing News for their podcast last week, was it?
1: Yeah, I think so. yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and we were talking with those guys about so the passive house guidance directive policy that's being introduced
1: over there. Um, the regulations, so it's, spot, Passive House equivalent uh, building regulations that they're going to introduce in, in Scotland, yeah. Yeah, we were talking
0: about how, or we were asked, like what people need to be aware of, given that this change is going to be imposed. And what change is it going to, what impact is it going to have on the industry? And, uh, you know, what should people be aware of? Well, you've got to learn. that was the biggest one you have to learn a whole new system for doing things but it shouldn't be terrifying that seemed to be the 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 outcome so when jeff mentioned having you one he said that you've got an interesting story about how you came to be in the position that you are like your relationship to passive house and it sounded like there might be a few parallels for those people going through what's going to be quite an accelerated rapid learning curve over up in uh the, north, the far north of the UK. Go back to the start. Uh, who, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, f- fair enough. No, it, it, it
2: is quite an interesting journey. So um, I, I suppose in lots of ways, um, like many, many people, I, I, I came out of school and didn't really know in many ways what, what I wanted to do um, going forward. I, I actually sort of missed a trick. Um, around the time of the leaving cert, where I just, just didn't really understand that, you know, by the time I got on um, going out <laughs> on the time, um, I, you, you know, it, it was that late in the day that, you know, I began to invo- you really enjoy the sort of, sort of social scene just at the time when you should have been knuckling down to do some work. Yeah. And and then th- that left me missing a trick. So my, my first sort of step in, in into education was, was in an FE college in Belfast after being a, a part qualified butcher took in shopping trolleys and Tesco. Um, how do we we stinted refrigeration apprenticeship, but we stinted an electrician's apprenticeship? Um, but the day and hour that I started in, in that college in Belfast, I never really looked back. And and it was all in the area of construction. And when you look back at what I was good at in school, it was construction, it was technical drawing, it was all of those things. So it really, it really was a long way around to find out what you're good at. Uh, and then and then from there, for, first steps into industry was working locally uh, with Century Homes before Kingspan bought them out and they became King, Kingspan Century. That actually oh, yeah. happened during my work placement here. Um, oh, yeah. And as you said, that, that war was raging then, you know, uh, the concrete industry versus timber frame. And I suppose at, at that time, I sort of got on a little bit into the whole area of um you know, really going with the market and that, that that was coming out of Century Homes around, um, you know, the green credentials of timber frame, and that's that's really where you know I had that little sort of area that I wanted to pursue. Um, then went back to college and did architectural technology, um, and then moved into the the whole space of working in, in architects' offices, um, re- primarily in Belfast. Work, and then um. Lo and behold, like every spoiled brat of my generation, took myself off to a around-the-world trip with, with a couple of friends as the Celtic Tiger roared and then uh, came home to the car crash on, on the other side of that and um, yeah. had to, in, in lots of ways, start again. That then was where I sort of got into the whole area of doing a master's, um, which was deeper into education, an area I didn't think I'd be going back to. And then uh, we... Was in the whole renewable space then sort of had dropped if you like the traditional construction industry and was more in the the energy space and then th- that that then led to really good things where it started to do building energy ratings um for three years for a company locally in Monaghan that involved surveying buildings all around the country um a really good context and, and, and education for what was coming next, um which was really the world of passive house. And and that that happened with um just you know I joined Southwest College who are, who are one of the biggest e colleges in Northern Ireland, but less than an hour from my home in Monaghan. And um with that went to a talk in Dublin and and met Art McCormick. Um he was giving a talk at one of the self build shows and and that was really where passive house sort of started um as a journey and we took it back to the college and, and they wanted to run with it. And, and they ended up building um, the Crest Centre, um, which was a one million pound project. Paul McAllister was the architect on it. He was actually a teacher of mine back in, right. in Belfast Met. So it was a, a lovely full circle story there. And then that that building, the Crest Centre, really then went to be the guinea pig for what was the urn campus and 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 a 30 million pound passive house premium building. And I suppose all of that journey, you know, being side by side with those projects and lots of little RD projects that we were doing in the college with with various architects in Northern Ireland have led to I suppose me being chair, me building my own passive house, and also, you know. At the moment, as I sit here in Belfast, over two hundred million pounds of public buildings being built to the certified passive house standard here in Northern Ireland. So you know, that's a, it's a really successful Amazing. story. Um, not that not that I'm claiming success for any of it or all of it, not at all. <laughs> but it's been a it, it's an exciting place in Northern Ireland at the moment with respect to passive house. It really is.
0: So how, how come it's how come it's been embraced in Northern Ireland then? Because it sounds like a yeah. significant move has been made. Yeah, it's a really good question. I,
2: I honestly would go with this, um, and I'm probably in a good position to answer. I, I think that Urn Campus building that we've built in Southwest College has came along at the perfect time. It, it has just broken a glass ceiling at the right time because you have, uh, you know, nobody wants an energy crisis at the right time or, or, or the geopolitics to go around it. But, but with that coming, with the climate change imperative constantly there and and with the, the you, you know the, that cost of living crisis as well you, you know you have public bodies looking forward to what the running costs are going to be they know the a leadership um role to play and it's the culmination of all of
1: those things um so i think the building just broke a glass ceiling at the right time we need a uh, better metaphor is glass the heat loss through a glass ceiling and then you've got the uh, you know uh, <laughs> People talk about making things concrete and so on as well. You we need new uh uh you know constructional uh, metaphors for uh, for the Anthropocene era. So um, you
0: probably just have to qualify that it's like a triple glazed glass ceiling, uh, uh like okay. some something, and then all of a sudden it gets re- really tedious. <laughs> like too many qualifications, <laughs> like you quickly referring to a Simpsons episode. You have to explain the cast, the plot up to a point, and then explain what happened in the actual thing and then all of a sudden oh the moment's lost
1: i've got a simpsons character sitting on my lap actually but um <laughs> we've got uh, um, we, do- the dog we've got uh poochie maltese dog we needed a uh uh hypoallergenic dog because uh, and that was, was kind of apartment size because of where we live the flat we live in Um, he's named after uh poochie the dog who was introduced to this it- itchy and scratchy uh the cartoon within the cartoon <laughs> the Simpsons uh and killed off after one episode because he was an absolutely rubbish character. Uh so that's what we named our dog after. Yeah. Um, but um yeah that, that, that that's that's a very really interesting story. Uh and um, so we so
0: and were on the glass ceiling there, Jeff.
1: That's yeah, the in terms of where at that. um
0: so like all great innovations, look uh well, I say luck, like the the climate and energy misfortune being imposed upon us is it's not really lucky but uh chance i suppose that's
1: the one that's made the appears to have made the biggest difference indeed exactly. i agree exactly. now, barry you also um i think was it something related to uh in campus um you were an this amb- uh, uh an ambassador weren't you uh during um uh the the uh, cop 26 uh in glasgow is that right yeah correct right jeff um you, you've done the research um yeah,
2: so so um, along along my journeys, break from traveling, um, I, I, there was no work, and I was rooting around, just trying to get involved in stuff. And um, one of the things I got involved in was a program with the British Council, and it, it ended up with me um, involved um, a youth delegation, basically, the the international youth forum. On climate finance, and uh, I remember going out to it, and uh, I didn't really know an awful lot about climate finance. I'm um, doing an interview for the Asian Financial Times, and if if that ever sees the light of day, i go <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, digging for that. So, now. Thank so you. you. Yeah. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, so so I did I did do good deed out there though. Um, we 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 did a a a document on climate finance amongst four people. Then we presented that at COP17. Um, So by the time we got round to COP26, which was in Glasgow, um, somebody unearthed that I had been involved back in COP17. And then um, there was an opportunity then to be sort of put forward as as a bit of an ambassador or champion around the the event in Glasgow, um, which, which, um, you know, I partaked in and, and done. Yeah how well received was that you what were you speaking
1: about at the event
2: yeah so so again um that that actually might might have um helped an awful lot of the stuff in northern ireland as well because it all came side by side with the urn campus you know coming to completion so primarily we got a few actors who you'd know in the space the likes of scott foster who was with the un at the time uh tomás o'leary um who's a good friend of the college you know in mossart and um you you know we did an event there um and and with that event being there and and because there was only a handful of people really there from northern ireland and um, that that was really well received and did get a lot of attention you know um we we had the bbc you know come and do an interview in the college around that time as well and um the college signed an mou that time as well with the with the un um high performance
1: building network so a lot of good things happened around that time i mean in terms of the college itself you are based out of the college is that all right? You, 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 there, you, you, um, that is your office now, the uh, on Campus, is that right? Yeah. So it's, no, and well, I, I'm actually based at the Crest Centre, which
2: oh, is literally off, five
1: so. minutes over, over, over the road. Yeah. Pick your passive house building. So uh, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're in that one, right? Yeah. One. Fantastic. Uh, well, why would you leave? Well, there's two. It's it's, it's, it's what right. do you want? You know. Um. Yeah. They're, they're. Uh. That's great. So you've been in there a good few years now, and 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 how is that working out as a kind of a passive house? you know, uh, a non-domestic pacifist building, How, you know, has there been any attempts to kind of get uh, any feedback or insight from uh, from people, you know, actually using the building, from building users to understand how they're finding it? You know, they're, you're not all sweltering in the summer, for instance, are you? No, no, no. Um, the, the
2: building has had some, some small issues with overheating, but they usually happen um, actually around this time of year. And there is is some glazing, you know, but it's to do with fire doors in the corridor, really outside of the corridor, the building doesn't overheat at all. I I actually did a paper on it. We did two years post occupancy monitoring and the building did exactly what it said in the tin in terms of every respect. It was it was within uh, one kilowatt either side. I can't remember which it was. Um, but but the two years they both came in, you know, within that margin of error tolerance. And um, so so the crest centre in itself is is a great story. Um, and and it was that data too that would
1: have went into the business case for the Iron campus as well. You know, um, and Kweir, uh, your research more broadly. I mean, one of the pieces that I wanted to touch on uh, that really I thought was significant research, uh, and so much so that I that I, I brought it into my TEDx talk uh, was. Um, was your research on radon levels um, in passive houses and in in other homes. Now, just for, for context, a lot of our listeners will know what radon is, although I think uh, awareness of radon probably is higher in Ireland than in the UK. Yeah, yeah definitely higher in Ireland. It yeah. never comes up over here. So I don't think we've got the same problems well, uh, the, the, those assumptions are made a lot of the time, but from looking at the radon maps in the UK, I think it's probably a more significant issue uh, than is given credit for, frankly. All um, right. The... So, just explain what radon is very briefly.
0: It's uh, yeah, visible. So... Od- sorry, mm-hmm. uh, Barry, you, you go first. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: okay. Well, it's it's a it's a gas that's um, pro- probably a, a outside. It's outside as well, but of very small minutia levels. But, but you're gonna find radon in, in absolutely every building in the world. Um it, it usually follows cementitious materials, so so in a very loose way, anything that's dug out of the ground is gonna have radon in it. Um so so as Jeff rightly says, you you know, it it, it does have um, some some horrible stats with it, um, like on the island of Ireland, you, you know, it it does lead to three hundred deaths or directly derived um, a year from from radon, um, and predominantly that's in in the form of a lung cancer. So so it is there. It, it 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 what I what I used to say to people whenever I was doing the research at the time is, you know, that that's the equivalent amount of people that die in car accidents in Ireland a year and there's significant campaigns about drink driving, wearing your seat belt, everything else. But you know, when it comes to radon, it's 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 not got the same prevalence. You know, e- even though I, I would accept it is better known about in Ireland,
1: you, you know, that, yeah. that's still still a fact. One of the first uh probably the first big issue that I got my teeth into from a lobbying uh perspective back in the day was radon, uh just not long after we started Construct Ireland. Um and it was to do with uh with uh the lack of testing going on in, in workplaces i think um uh um and just lack of attention being given to, to the issue um and uh we got you know i just rang up uh journalists all over the shop um and got got a fair whack of attention on on the press and on radio and i think Maybe a bit of telling, I can't even recall.
0: Um, it, it was. It, it got uh, national press and radio. I think yeah. the Irish Times or
1: equivalent, and yeah. a bunch of national radio stuff. Yeah, and um, one story that that came out a while ago uh, after that was that Daniel de Lewis, uh, who'd been living in Wicklow known was a kind of high radon area, um, had moved house. Um and, and he the reason apparently was that he'd been reading about uh about high radon levels and he freaked out.
0: So he heard it on the radio and then fucked off to Italy and became a cobbler, <laughs> if you remember <laughs> well I mean it felt like quite an achievement to have terrified him out of Ireland at that point. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. exactly our intention, yeah. yeah. Well you know it's the emergent you can't predict exactly how uh something will function in it's in a, in a natural environment mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to predict although like perhaps barry with his
1: crest center might but differ. anyway yeah watch what you say barry because we we don't want um any other kind of method acting test leaving no. leaving the country <laughs> okay? yeah
2: particularly when irish film and, and tv is so good with the recent oscars That's nominations it. but but, but really yeah yes yeah. so jeff to just move on on that like really what what happened then was um you know I, I, the college was great um they they really gave me the opportunity to do the phd you know and um it, it really was the opportunity of a lifetime now while i was terrified going into it you know what what's this going to mean what am i going to do we were starting a family at home um but but it was, I still sort of said to myself, it's an opportunity to not come around again, you know. So I went for it. And the the area of Radon was this, you know, they're always asking you in academia, you know, you need to find your niche. It needs to be a, an under-researched area. And then, you know, when we looked at what was out there, with radon and certified passive houses, there was some research, but but really only elementary stuff looked at. Um but nothing really in the UK context against it. And then there was some stuff in Ireland around retrofitting and then elevated. Evident- um, radon levels and, and what's really interesting about that is it's a bit of a proxy for the whole ventilation conversation so mm. if you allow me I, I'll sort of get to that so so I, I monitored all in all like 97 homes um, that were certified passive house buildings uh, and you know the average radon level in the Republic of Ireland in homes um, it, it is 77 becquerels per cubic metre now my sample size came out um, on average, at thirty-six becquerels per meter squared, so you're talking uh, like a fifty percent drop, give or take, there in in radon levels in certified passive houses, and and, and that level is well below um, what they call um, the, the the target level in terms or, or the level, yeah, the action level for radon. So so you know, first of all radons in every building just to so people don't get alarmed. Um but but in certain and it's very important what I say here, the certified passive house sample size were were was a 36, 50% lower than than standard building regs. And then just to sort of, you know, iron that out a bit more, I, I got houses where there was you know, a house in proximity just right next door. And we investigated that as a subset. And again, we, we found that the passive houses were much lower than the accompanying houses. And then we did other subsets of that as well, where we looked at houses that had even higher levels of airtightness. you know, because the, the, that's the great thing about the passive house standard. You have all of this, you know, testing of a passive house, to a certain level so there's this consistency of the sample so i was able to look at right okay is there any correlation between air tightness in the certified passive house sample and lower levels of radon and there was again as well so it, it was with, within now it's very important to get this right within the certified passive house sample the further you you the house was airtight you know below 0.3 there was a correlation of lower air lower radon and um, so it was all very interesting but the single biggest thing that came out of it is this and sometimes maybe uh, you know I haven't got this across enough um it is is really that um normally see the EPA sponsored the, the research they, they sponsored all the radon testing so so that was a really good thing as well because there was consistency of testing and everything else but when it when it come to their data the girl rachel in in the office in the epa she she rang me up and she says barry th- there's something coming up with your samples all the time there's no difference really between upstairs and downstairs a lot in your sample size because normally with, with radon testing, so so just for the listeners, you, you normally have a, like a jammy dodger sized disc thing that sits in, in the two most occupied rooms in the house. They're typically in a sitting room or the most occupied room, and then also in a bedroom. And, and it, typically that's upstairs. So what you'd normally find is that the sitting room disc, because it's downstairs, radon's a heavier gas, and you would often not often, all the time, they expect to find the bedroom disc to have a lower level of radon distribution. So, so what happens there is um, downstairs is always worse than upstairs. But what happened in my sample was there was always an equilibrium between upstairs and downstairs. And whenever the penny dropped, that's all to do with the the quality framework that's with the passive house standard and how the cascade ventilation, you know, methodology is employed. How you have to evidence that when you're going for certification, you know. So you were getting this mixing of the air because the MVHR system was really working effectively. Um, so is because, this? Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So 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 that's that. That was really you you know in a lot of ways. The picture of what had happened there, and and you know that's the bit that I'm really proud of. That it sort of it appro- it it sort of proves that if there is a quality framework, if ventilation and MVHR is done and done right, it does work and it does work effectively. And, and where where there's these fall downs, is usually human error, bad installation, and the rest, which we've all talked about time and time again. So you know if there is a follow-on to my research and in many ways i do have a hunger to get to it it's around the whole space of looking at all the various ventilation systems that are in the marketplace and and the ventilation systems that are growing and to sort of do a risk matrix of those um and and maybe to you know if if time or money would allow me to do it um you know so a big shout out to universities and stuff out there um if if you could explore, you know, demand control ventilation, positive input ventilation, extract, whole whole house extract ventilation, as well as balanced mechanical heat recovery. It'll be interesting to see what and the the levels are. Don't forget the of the wall, Barry. <laughs> oh, oh yes, the, the ventilation that doesn't work typically, <laughs> yes.
0: Um yeah, natural <laughs> ventilation. Yeah. Uh, so there um, you go. So there are two bits I'm curious about there, all brought but it's the same bit. So what we can infer then is that the the radon levels are lower in a certified passive house. Is that because it's airtight, so the radon's not getting in? Or is it because of the ventilation? Like both presumably have an effect, but what was the what was the outcome? Or what? What did you understand yes, it, from?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's exactly down to that. It's exactly down to the twofold. The house is airtight in the first place, so less radon can get in. Um, it's such a common myth. You know, radon barriers, yes, but how well do they work? You know, um, and and then anyway, radon will come off. You know, at, at very small levels, it'll come off granite worktops, which are from the ground. It'll come off plasterboard. It'll come off all of these materials as background levels. Um, so you're always going to have radon. Um, so it was yes, the airtight barrier stops it from coming in and then if it is present because you have continuous ventilation uh, with the balanced mechanical heat
1: recovery unit you're flushing it out um so you know uh, even in the
2: areas I, that were high, so high
1: risk, I, no, I think you know. i think for me it comes back to something that ian maude the english ventilation expert uh mm-hmm. ventilation and indoor air quality expert said which really chimed with me and he talks about the fact that for indoor air quality you've got two things basically one is dilution and the other is source control so by dilution he means you know uh ventilation basically to to flush out pollutants and source control i think i think uh what w- or at least when i first heard him talk about that i was thinking about it in the context of things like uh know not putting in plug-in air fresheners which are disastrous you know from an air quality perspective you know um not burning things uh in 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 your house, whether it's uh from an open fire or a stove or uh or not you know or being careful when you're cooking because that's that's a real hazard as well uh with, with with frying in particular um and you know toast and all that kind of crack um but that also applies also, you know, I guess to things like, uh, the building envelope. And if you've got, uh, you know, a radioactive gas, for God's sake, uh, you know, coming up your building potentially from, from the ground and it being potentially more of a risk. That's one of the things that interested me. There is research, which I think you're kind of ref- referencing, very indicating that in low energy buildings, you can have higher levels of radon because, um, the warm building in the winter, uh, it, it creates a negative pressure, which uh, which 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 draws in stuff, you know, uh, gases and so on from the ground. So that's what makes the, the the passive house. In other words, I would have expected to, you know, uh, some naysayers to approach your kind of passive house research, Barry, with some trepidation, because if we're talking about a very well insulated warm building, you might have expected to find higher levels of radon in that case rather than lower you know um but uh but i guess the air tightness uh se- you know seems to be kind of a, a a key element in terms of the of the source control and then the ventilation for by dil- for dilution yeah couldn't have said it better jeff that that, that really is it
2: in a nutshell um but but what's what's really interesting now about it is is just all the other options that are coming into the marketplace, you know, around ventilation of high-performance buildings, you know, that that really is why it's all the more pertinent than it even was when I started this journey. You know, so 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 I suppose the the Barry Barry's Radon Research 2.0 would, would certainly, you know, I think there's a need for it, and I think there's an opportunity there to find out more. And and, and remember, you know, th- this is consistent with CO2 parts per million. As a metric as well, which is consistent in buildings, so you you know there is that you know there's a consolidation of what what we're saying here. It's not just you know on
0: a whim. You know. Well, I was thinking for a UK market that for whom we don't, and I'm speaking for myself, I suppose at this point because there may be loads of other people in the UK who think an awful lot about radon, and we've got an international contingent of listeners where we are talking about radon specifically. Here, we're actually talking about air quality. And the the value of designing a system appropriately with a, a proper outcome in mind, a testable, measurable, verifiable outcome. It just so happens that your research focused on radon. Is that right? So, you know, there is the potential for folk to learn from your work or take heed from the lessons that you've learned. Yeah, definitely
2: totally applicable across lots of different areas and and places globally as well. It's not just a UK thing. Um, and because the passive house standard is consistent across multiple jurisdictions as well, that, that was the other attractiveness for me pursuing it. It, it. it was literally because, you know, it is applicable in America. It is applicable in Canada. Lots of these places have radon problems. Um, Indeed, I presented at a conference in Spain as well where, where radon is significantly an issue there as well. So, you know, but again, the consistency seems to be that, um, like Jeff sort of said, you know, if you're affecting the source control and you're diluting, you're on your way, but, but yeah,
1: and you need to be so careful. And I remember um, there's a there's a systematic review, or like or like in fact, it's a, something like a meta-analysis that I saw um, a few years ago, which took 180 different uh, ventilation and air quality-related um, uh, papers, academic papers, and tried to distill them down to the most relevant ones and and, and answer the question about the the ventilation and public health relationship in building. Um, and there was one really interesting this is just a caveat on the whole dilution argument but one really interesting finding that they that they reported on this so one paper and this is so bloody obvious uh once once you've heard it that pointed out that in some cases increased ventilation rates you know increased dilution can cause indoor air quality to decline mm-hmm. and that is very obviously uh if your outdoor air quality is poor <laughs> So if yes. you're uh, you know if your house is on the side of a motorway you know for instance or next to a landfill or god knows what um uh maybe having unfiltered uh supply air from outside and and ratcheting up you know uh the ventilation rate isn't a good thing uh so it's it's like you know this thing of um to maintain good indoor air quality in a way that's going to be healthy and you know not kill you um uh it's it, it's a question of on one hand maybe balancing um stopping contaminants um you know and di- different kinds of pollutants getting into the building whether it's from the ground or whether it's uh through the supply air and also making sure that you're not doing you know or th- that any activities that you're doing that can generate pollutants in the house um are uh, are being flushed out you know
2: no no you're 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 bang on you really are um like uh, just just to reiterate maybe what you're what you are saying um you know when one goes to change their MVHR filters the dirtier of the two filters will be the outside air filter not not the internal one there and whenever we teach the passive house course you, you know I do hold up the two filters and ask the class you know which filter is which and, and very commonly you know they think you know the internal one is the dirtier of the two because everyone thinks you know outside air is fresh air you know it's it's going to be good and clean for you yeah. um another thing that i would say in the teaching uh, very commonly and it, it is it is sort of uh, it's we it's a wee punch in the jaw sort of thing to say um is that you know in the pass house course it classifies um one to four all of the uh indoor air classifications uh, and what what it says for the first one is you know indoor air classification one for for quality of air is 400 CO2 parts per million and less God, that that that's that actually atmospheric levels that no longer exists. Yeah. That no, that no longer exists. So, so thank God so you, for climate change. Yay. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know. You, your point. Your point is very true. Whenever you take that into consideration, you you know, like I was born in 1983. Um, we were well below that at that time. Now we're not. There you go. You know, so I, I think that that really does stick with some people whenever you're delivering the course and they hear that for the first time.
1: It's a fascinating one. And the point you made about the outdoor air, I, the other thing I'd like to add there, I'm just a bit mindful of, now I've never actually checked the air quality, but I'm visiting my mother-in-law who lives in Tinnahili in Wicklow. Lovely, well, it's, it's a r- rural uh, location, lovely views with the, the hills there um, and um, very windswept, hilly kind of location there's a field just above the house um, and the farmer was uh, I like think, spreading slurry one of the times when we were there. Um, and um, I was, we were staying for a while. So we were, so we were washing clothes. And I, some of my clothes were drying on the line when, when I, um, <laughs> some of which I didn't wear when I put, brought, you know, unpacked the suitcase and we got back the smell of slurry, you know, <laughs> off the bloody, uh, off the T-shirt. And you think so this myth that a lot of people have in their heads that uh that you know, it's good, clean country air, and that uh, uh, you know, in other words, that air pollution is just an urban issue. Um uh, is that something you've 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 encountered at all? Are Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to resist the culty
2: sort of you know dub joke, but I, I'll leave it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, <laughs> it's a funny story that though, um, especially when I know you, Jeff. Um, the, the bit the, the bit that uh, I, I would take from that as well is around um. You know that thing that I've said about the, the the two dirty filters, but um the the bit that I'm trying to draw a parallel to now is I'm building my own passive house, and um, fortunately I'm, I'm delighted to be in a position to do that, and and it is you you know it it, it, it in some ways has been an absolutely beautiful journey in itself but in other ways there's always the stresses with with just getting finished up with the project but what i have looked out for um from from we started the project is my intake and exhaust is on the north side of the building which is brilliant um because summer sun is not going to hit the south side and you know it'll help with reducing the overheating or or any prospect of it but what i have looked at is the prevailing wind now the house next door where what way does their chimney blow and then I did pick up very recently, a thing that was on the Claire Byrne show. I've read the EPA research on this before, but this was for, done for the second year running where in letter Kenny, it's been said that the, the, the outdoor air quality is worse than New Delhi. And I think it, it, another place that was earmarked interestingly was Ennis. Uh, over in County Clare, and also w- would That's you believe? That's a
1: high on spot, actually, isn't
2: it? Yeah, sure. yeah, it is. And and another place then was Enniscorte, which is actually a, a bit of a passive house mecca on the island of Ireland. So mm. so what what we have there is it's actually you know the amount of people using solid fuel with their chimneys that because of the them three locations, it's that they're in a slight depression in the ground. The prevailing wind isn't dispersing, the, you know, the contaminants coming out of chimneys. But actually where I live, we've actually got a slightly similar situation where there is a hill sort of protecting the the area around where the house is being built. So you would notice on a foggy night or a night where there's a frost where where, where the wind is very still that, that you can smell it and you can breathe it. You, you can you can taste nearly the coal in your mouth mm-hmm. and, and, and this, you know, if people. People actually hear, are hearing this for the first time, and and we are coming out of the winter season now into the summer, so there's probably very few opportunities yet. But if you think back, if you're out walking a dog, if you're out in the evening in an urban environment like that, and and we we all, if we're truthful, have probably tasted that, or or have smelled that, or recognised that that happens. So I mean that this whole conversation about indoor air quality, outdoor air quality, it's real and it's tangible and it's right there in front of us. I you
1: think, Barry, uh, I um. It occurred to me at a stage uh, that that, um, and I'm thinking as well of, um, sorry for doing this now, uh, EN one six seven nine eight three of two thousand and seventeen, which is uh, an indoor environmental quality standard. It's uh, pa- part of a Swedish indoor environmental quality standards relates to uh, uh, energy performance calculation methodology, and that particular part of, of the of the Swedish standards. Um, or at least the BSEN, but I haven't seen the IS. I'll keep it brief, Jeff. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. Uh, basically tells you um, it has um, the grade of filter required for your for your ventilation system, for the supply air on your ventilation system, um, depending on how polluted the outdoor air is and how uh, vulnerable the occupants are, right? So you obviously wouldn't yeah. want a uh, higher grade filter, meaning less stuff can come in from, from outside, um, less nasty stuff. If you've got very vulnerable people in the building, and if you've got very and if you've got very polluted outdoor air, but the extraordinary thing about this uh, is that it's, it seems to be saying, in this standard at least, that filtering the supply air is a, is a prerequisite. It's that's the what 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 I infer from it in every circumstance, which is, but, but which sure is quite controversial, really. <laughs> no, well,
2: well all, all this has become very acute with COVID. You, you know, like um. I, I did a webinar and spoke with Wolfgang Feist directly around this as well um, and he, he was giving me some feedback on the radon research and you know he he said that in a, in a high-risk radon area you know what one should contemplate and I put this into my um, you know dissertation for the PhD as well as a recommendation that if you live in a high-risk radon area that you can upgrade your filter from an F7 to an F9 and the G4 to an F7 and and with that you, you know you're increasing the filtration um both outdoor and indoor and and with that you see going back to radon one of the ways in which one would ingest radon is to do with particular matter 2.5 um yeah so if you if you if there's less dust in the house um even if there was radon present you have you know you're you you've less chance of ingesting does it, it if What does that less... do? Does it carry? Does it jump onto the dust or something like that? Yes, yeah, it, it effectively does. Yeah, that that that's exactly right. So so that that was very interesting, you know, um, around that as well. And I'm sort of glad we we got to that point as well because it is another thing. If anyone is listening to this from a radon perspective, it's it, it it is it is a good i'd
0: i'd work enough the PhD as well. You know, so I'm glad we got to that. Well, well, I think there's there's okay. a wider point. So, so I think there's a wider point that this is alluding to as well, which relates to, I mean, a conversation that Jeff and I were having earlier with Julie uh, Godfrey of Sibzi about uh, you really – so we, we often talk about a thing like Passive House as being almost like a magic bullet. It's mm-hmm. a standard that will resolve so many of our problems. But you can't just build a ha- Passive House standard on its own. You've got to consider environmental factors around the place mm-hmm. as well. So we're talking about how. uh, So the placement of your your input and output for your air, the ventilation system, you need to consider that in relation to your environment. And uh, Julie was describing a situation where a wall that had never been a problem had begun to develop black mold on it as a consequence of a neighbour having built an outside office and that's right, I heard this blocking sunlight all of a sudden like mold starts to appear on the wall and we've got to think about all of these systems, these strategies, these technologies, we've got to consider them in their environment and not in a, an abstract fashion where a lot of the time I hear people talking about these things and extolling the the virtues and values of them just in an abstract manner without, without ever having the, I suppose it's because you don't have the, you don't have a lot of time and space for nuance in the discourse, do you? I mean no no th- th-
2: that that's a really good observation as well about about all things passive house you, you know um, and another observation from learning it that sort of chimes with what you're saying is um we we do get this sort of you know the the architect versus the tradesperson sort of um depiction happens or plays out in front of us um you know when when you're on the lecturing side you you know typically you 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 get the architects in a the room they they will t- take longer to break down in terms of getting them to understand the whole passive house thing, because very often, you know, well, it's it, somebody's one is very progressive when they're coming to the course in the first instance, but there would always be these sort of notions, which must be drilled in, in, in architecture school about, you you know, um, you're not getting enough feel and touch with the outside, you, you know, and, and then something like yeah. the passive house standard is an alien concept because they, they think it's very, um, one-dimensional it's it's something that's going to be you know belts and braces it's going to limit architectural expression it's going to stop that you know outside inside feeling and all of
0: this yeah so so you know there there seems to be some sort of i mean there is from having returned to this sort of area over the last couple of years you do hear bits of architectural dogma appearing in the, the the discourse uh and i have i i hear Quite frequently, talking to not just architects, but a wide variety of people, there is this perception of not just passive house, but green building. It is perceived as within this sort of framework, like a false dichotomy. It's either a grand designs, divorce accelerator, and money pit, or it's a Soviet-era grey block, uh, perfect form factor, uh, energy-efficient home that no one would ever want to live in and there there seems to be little appreciation of the the massive variety that that can be created and can be delivered on very reasonable <laughs> budgets once once the yeah. once the subject has been learned exactly and and like I, I say on the course and
2: i i've actually had to stop and listen to myself say this before um, I don't know if it's a Monaghan saying or a rural Ireland saying or 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 where it actually comes from, but when you say it out loud and you hear it back, it, it, it it's actually wrong. <laughs> but but what I often <laughs> say in the class is is um, there, there's ten ways to skin a cat. What <laughs> <laughs> was well, the cat skinning
0: uh, county you know. Yeah,
2: I can I can I'm going to. I'm going to move on from that very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> and, and but, in my experience,
0: it only extends to the, There's more than one way to skin a cat. I don't think they'd ever been quantified and limited at 10.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think so too. But 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 the analogy is still true. You know, in actual fact, the, the pacify standard, when understood, when learned, is so, so flexible around how you get there, what way you do it, all of this, you know, this thing about, you know, a rectangle shoebox with a load of sight glazing and all the rest. I mean, it, it really does grind your gears at times, you know. Um, but in other ways, you relish that view because you know there's the challenge to, to
1: change it as well you know well you know what Barry when it comes to uh writing about your your own house uh, which I'm really looking forward to doing I'm really hoping that you're gonna when, uh, when it comes to getting photographed uh, that uh we make a proper piece of the, the the cat skin rugs and stuff that you're going to have uh adorning every you know every every surface yeah
0: yeah you'll still yeah. potentially have a problem with not having enough room to swing the cat prior to its skinning but, <laughs> but i mean yeah. that's 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 a whole different political avenue that we'd need to discuss um i'm curious about um uh, so the educational aspect of the work that you do so on that podcast that jeff and i guested on last week we met andrew Kubsky who He's Director of Development and Asset Management at West Scotland Housing Association. Mm -hmm. And they completed, I think maybe it was Scotland's largest development of flats, not houses, to meet the passive house standard. And they'd begun this as this massive program of work. And they put it on pause because they realized they needed to take stock, if you pardon the pun, and learn a little about what they'd been through and what was going on, because like the the old the the hoary old myth about passive house being more expensive was trotted out without qualification that ah of course it's more expensive when you're learning and you don't know what you're doing and none of your contractors know what they're doing of course it's more expensive and also like a, a degree of patient patient sorry that's my healthcare head coming in uh a degree of occupant dissatisfaction which you don't know what that's motivated by like jeff saw a response on twitter to them that seemed to be motivated by a sense of persecution rather than anything to do with the flats that they're living in we don't know if it was one of their no you know
1: yeah it's, it's uh it's a tricky one um so when
0: it comes to educating people teaching them about passive house like are you able to teach them that learning how to deliver passive house is a process like you don't just there's not just a cookie cutter there is a standard that you build to that you make work and that it's going to take time to get it right or to be able to implement it properly like you know you have to learn through i mean you've detailed a whole or you you've talked about a whole bunch of examples where you've engaged in post-occupancy evaluation to check that you're doing a good job and that's something that's broadly anathema to the way the construction industry works in the UK and Scotland. Can you teach kids to bake this into how they approach their work? Yeah.
2: It's so interesting you're talking about this because that's exactly the conference that we're at today speaking about. You know, it's about how to bring in innovation into higher education. That is actually what they're talking about. But but when you get to this, I liked what you said about the cookie cutter thing, and um, it, 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 that that's what's very enjoyable um, about the passive house course, particularly whenever you teach the tradespersons course, because a lot of the time the builders just just when you get them there, um, and and you get them sit sit down like everybody else in this world that, that we find ourselves in, everybody's so busy, all consumed with what they're doing. But if you get somebody to take a day out, uh, the, it's a three day thing for the passive house tradespersons course, they, you you see you see them come. With solutions to you, as you progress through the learning material, um, because you you know they find their own way of doing things, um, and and that that's that's particularly enjoyable as well. But but you do see that you you do see that come the training material. Maybe it's it's myself and Tomás O'Leary. Whenever we we get together, often talk, and we actually did a paper on this as well about um, you know a pedagogy for teaching passive house, and, and we spoke about you know using analogies to break down various things, you know, like everybody has a heat pump in their house. It's the fridge. The fridge is an insulated, well, airtight box. There you go. That's why the heat pump works in your fridge, because it's a well-insulated, airtight box. How many times at the moment do I need to talk to people in the construction industry about, don't be putting a heat pump onto that house. It's not a well-insulated, airtight box. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, wh- when we get to talking about um you know even here like i'm sitting in the car doing the podcast here you, you know it's it's a Volkswagen Passat if if i switch on the car now and and go to turn down the dial it'll go to 16 degrees and then it'll turn to low that that just so happens to correspond with C and um you, you know their criteria for discomfort um if you go to turn it up um of course the set point is 21 degrees when you roll off the ramp at, at, at Mr Volkswagen's garage how did how did that come about uh, that's building science Still staring in the face as well in a roundabout way and then you, you know you turn up the, the 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 thing here in the car the blower and it cuts out to 25 which is overheating you, mm-hmm. you know there's so much there's so much of this stuff around us um, and when you use you know good common language like that and, and examples like that you you know you get these people on side very quickly in the in the learning of the course and then d- they then row with you and it becomes quite a quite a nice little day or two where they're giving you solutions to, to to things that you're talking about. And you know, you might put up on the board one solution, but the builders would be very good at saying, ah, oh, is there an easier way to do that or there's a cheaper way to do that. And and we're seeing that happen in the construction industry in Ireland, like from Tomas built his house, the first passive house in the English-speaking world or whatever it was, to now, you know, we are getting better and better. These details are more and more commonly understood. You you know, like, even an example like the the aerated concrete block, like, like every builder nearly knows to do that now. You know, the, the needle is moving. And a lot of the time, some of us that are at the vanguard here, you, you know, we get upset when we're together, um, you know, giving off about this and that. But but if, if you do look at it, there is incremental improvement all the time. Um, and, and, you know, we should probably, you know, embrace that too. But um, could the speed happen? Yeah, this, 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 it could speed up and accelerate. If we could just get more people
1: in front of the right people in terms of, of education, it, it'd go a long way too, you know. I think the kind um, of approaches you're talking about to education very... Um they sound so, so far removed from uh, from what people might expect in terms of well, oh, you know, from the kind of a hierarchical top down uh, uh, approach to something much more collaborative and uh, and uh, I don't know attractive. I suppose if p- people are actually going to feel like they're they're really participating in something, you know, that that's a well, uh, great way think... to win people over. I think.
0: I think there's something in the the type of participant that you're engaging with. Like I thought it was really interesting that you referenced a difference in, uh, I don't know, engagement or attitude or acceptance between lads from sites and architects because that reflects a bit of research that Alex and I did part of a messaging project about low-carbon learning with BEST. And like I'm not going to start casting aspersions
1: or anything like that between best the two just, groups just, just, most people most, some people will know maybe our irish ones but best is uh built environment smarter transformations it's, it's a scottish uh,
0: formerly construction scotland innovation center Yeah, great organization yeah yeah, yeah. i mean they're brilliant, brilliant, brilliant but we did a bit of research around the value of their low-carbon learning program and one of the things that came out was like the lads who came from sites to learn about it to learn about low-carbon building and techniques they engaged hands-on with the program and really saw the value in terms of being shown why they were supposed to be doing things the way they were doing them. So if you can show someone like the practical application and why you're being asked to do it in this sort of a manner, all of a sudden you understand how to do your job better because you understand why you're being asked to do it in a particular way. And you've Mm -hmm. just got an easy opportunity then to do a better job. And everyone likes doing a good job. Like yeah. no one mm-hmm. likes to do a bad job.
1: I think uh That's some misanthropes out there, but yeah, leave them alone. Yeah.
0: Well yeah. yeah, I mean you've got to you've got to worked up some kind of animosity until you want to do a bad <laughs> job for someone. <laughs> um but yeah, it just struck me that uh like practical approaches or sorry, practical engagement makes it easier to understand what passive house is. Or what I mean, what building techniques are or I mean, my only experience with it is actually demolition and learning how to knock things down and break them apart and strip them out. But like it all, yeah, once you get hands on, it all makes so much more sense. Yeah, like, like, like.
2: So here, here's one thing I can't resist and saying. Um, w- one of those analogies that, that we cooked up me and Moss, and it's a great one because and and it it fits beautifully with what we're talking about with respect to indoor air quality. And maybe the joke Jeff gave me about you know the, the other type of house, the natural ventilated house. Um, one w- one of the ways we get that across in the teaching is, um, you you know, essentially. Uh, you know the pacifist teaching says that each person needs 30 cubes of air per person per hour so like like Tomás said to me I use the example of a dishwasher for a cube so if you stacked up you know 30 dishwashers outside um you, you know that's how much air somebody needs per person, per hour. I uh, another, another sort of measurement of scale of that is uh, a rigid lorry skip, you know, like a skip full of air is the type of joke we use. But uh, again, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, the, the, the shipping container size that sits on the back of a rigid lorry. So that's how much air each person needs per hour, you know, and then I say to the class, well, you're going to get that from opening the window. <laughs> are you going to get that through a trickle vent? Are you going to get that through like, the hole in the wall with the t-shirt stuck in it in the student house? You know, it's, it's it, it, that that really makes them understand, you know, oh my god, we're not getting anywhere close to the ventilation we need. And and it, 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 you know, um, but 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 coming back to what you said there about the builder and the architects, it's not to beat up in the architects, and 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 they're easy to club together as a group, like there, there's some fantastic people in that space too. But yeah, um, if I had one observation to say about them some of the times, um, they don't admit it. it it's not that they don't want to get there's this thing where like i don't really understand but i'm not going to admit that i don't understand mm. um and that's nearly what i think is is it's not an arrogance it's just a deflection but
0: thing yeah. You know? well yeah it's fair and it you know there is an arrogance to it i'm um, like just to be clear as well that's not my experience of most of the architects that we find ourselves engaging with but we all know horror stories about plenty of architects like yeah I mean, Alex we
1: say pretty special architects as well yeah first, you
0: know uh Alex and I work in the healthcare space as well and the story that the joke that we come across in the healthcare is the same as the one that we come across in built environment it's uh physicians and architects what's the difference between God and a physician <laughs> God doesn't think he's a physician <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's funny how often those jokes are referenced mm-hmm. like so frequently so many new biz meetings like,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: you know who you're mm-hmm. dealing with yeah <laughs>
1: that's Very brilliant funny. Barry um this has been great but uh, we should should wrap up because um you're sat there in your car and I don't know how low the temperature is going um in there but um CO2 is up anyway <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but come here um is there anything you want to, to flag or plug um, to our listeners before any, any websites, any, anything, up, any, any, anything orders? going on at Crest or
2: Southwest college. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always good stuff happening with us. Um, re- really we've got a bit of exposure Southwest college there and, and, and all the stuff we've done. So, I, I mean, for anybody who's listened to this is from the area, of course, Southwest college, but um, as chair of Passive Association of Ireland, I, I cut, the, can't let this go by and just say right. to everybody, you know, um, there is a lot of good stuff happening in Ireland of Ireland. I've already outlined what's happening with the public buildings in, in the north of Ireland. You know, we've had Fraser Miller there building 210 homes um, to the Passive House standard and and some of them to the low energy building standard under Passive House. There's really good things happening up north down south you've shangana you've 600 units coming on there with the land development agency and lots of other projects deloitte's new headquarters in the city and stuff we have esg emergence if there's anybody here in the financial area listening to this really come and get involved with the pacify association of ireland we're going to have a good healthy um roadshow of events coming um between, you know, uh, quarters um, two, three and four this year. So um, I'd really encourage people to just become a member. And and when you become a member, you get Passive House Plus um, and you also become a member of um, the International Passive House Association. And, and there's such a vibrant international community there as well. You know, you really are joining something quite special. So I, that's really my shout out, you know, um, if you like
1: what you're hearing, come get involved more, you know. Great. Thank you so much, Barry. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah. and sure. Um, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll 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 have you back on when you, you get deeper into your, you know, into your next whatever your next kind of mad sciencey research, uh, work is. Yeah. You know? No problem. No absolute pleasure. Brilliant. Delighted to have invited on. Cool. Cheers. Well, lovely to meet you. And uh,
0: yeah, yeah, speak to you again soon. Likewise. Yeah. Brilliant.